Hey, this is a Hakawari production. In last week's episode, we talked about nostalgia for the past with the confused Arab. This week, we take a look at the future. What will the Middle East look like in 30 years? My guest today made an award-winning film that proposes a dystopian scenario of what we might expect. Alefia 2053 is a one-hour animated movie about a plot to overthrow a tyrannical leader in a fictional Arab state of the future. Please welcome Lebanese creator and executive producer of that film, Rabia Swaidan. Hi, Rabia. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for being here. Um, there are plenty of Arabic films about the past and the present that have been made. Why did you choose to make a film about the future? And why did you set it specifically in the year 2053? Do you have inside information that something's supposed to happen that year? No, and I don't have a crystal ball, not even an eight ball. But um, um, to be honest, it's exactly what you just said. George and I uh, were sitting down, uh, George the director and I were just sitting together back in, I think, uh, December 2016 or early January 2017. And that was our observation, you know, like you have thousands of hours of entertainment um, that glorify a past, uh, that talk about the past, of how good it was, of how great it was. almost uh, like nostalgic to everything that happened in the past. And usually it's frankly not a very true sentiment. It's basically a reflection of an improbable past. So we thought to ourselves, you know, um, wouldn't it be nice that rather than we talk about an improbable past, that we talk about uh, the future and pretty much a plausible future if I may say so. That's how the idea started. It was as, as, as simple as that. We lived a f- civil war in, in, in Lebanon, and that uh, world for us was pretty traumatic. And I think uh, we thought that uh, when people talk about the past, are they being honest? And I think that was our, our attempt of, uh, of being honest with ourselves, first and foremost. Why 2053? It's because it's a generation from now. You know, we're, I'm a generation X. So what would it be like for, uh, you know, generation next, you know, uh, for for the generation X that uh, uh, that are people like me? We've seen a lot and we're here now. And in 30 years, if a person is born today, uh, what would his world or her world look like in 2053? Okay. Well, uh, it's a pretty dark film. Um, You have a ruler whose family has been in power for generations, and then you have a group of undercover agents plotting to overthrow his regime. There's some pretty graphic uh, torture scenes. So what inspired it? Um, And is this based on actual events somewhere specific in the Middle East? Well, based, no, but sort of like reflective, yes. I mean, we've seen it, you know, we've seen a statue being toppled, uh, you know, we've seen torture on TV, you know, people that usually do the torture are actually pretty proud of doing it, so they're not hiding it. Um, so that's the reality that we saw. Um, 
and going back to your question of uh, it's it's violent it dystopian movies have a genre they're usually uh, dark uh, gray when they are uh, set in Europe or the northern hemisphere because it's also also a reflection of what it feels like to be in autumn or in winter all the time symbolically in our case uh, it was uh, dark and reflective of a desaturated life that uh, that we you know think might happen if things or people don't look about the challenges that we have right now and you know leave them unanswered what are those challenges you see I mean, look around you um, and since 2016 or 2017 and i'm not talking about the middle east i'm talking about globally around the world topics of inequality the climate change technology and science the political orders around the world everything around us is in a state of volatility and uncertainty and complex and chaotic at the same time so it's very very ambiguous that, that we live in and it, when you think about this situation our reptilian brain and you know, as human beings always looks at the worst in trying to find a solution for for a better go back 100 years ago uh, we had similar situations probably before the start of world war 1 Europe was relatively empirical, uh, uh, stable, and then industrialization came, uh, social changes happened, inequality started, and then you ended up with, you know, human-made attempts to overcome this. You ended up with fascism, you ended up with another answer, which was communism, you ended up with some sort of liberal capitalism or uh, broadly called like a liberal democracy. That was an answer to all of these, um, you know, ambiguous and fast changes that were happening. And I feel sometimes that we are passing through this. Technology is moving much faster than the human brain can adapt. We don't know what we're doing. If I look at the vaccine, you know, uh, where we are taking, we just did it. We put it in our system. We don't know whether that's good or bad. I'm double vaccinated, by the way. I encourage everybody to get a vaccine. But what I'm saying is we are living very, very quickly. And that actually creates stress and anxiety. And from that comes usually, you know, a dark side. So obviously the film, you know, is fictitious, but do you think that this is where we're headed in many of these autocratic countries in the Middle East and North Africa? Um, the film is definitely fictitious. It's, it's, it's dystopian. It's, it's not real. But it may mirror uh, certain visions that we have seen. You know, it's an alternative reality in, in many ways. Is it going to happen? I don't know. What I do know is that as long as there is inequality, there will be a need to find equilibrium. Uh, you know, as long as there is uh, grievances, there will be attempts to actually address them. But for me, as long as there is a war, there's always an opportunity for peace. And as long as there is a dystopia coming our way, there's an opportunity to actually avoid it.
Right. And I, I asked you whether it's fictitious, but the film is really not so far from what we're seeing now. I mean, you have uh, 24-7 surveillance of basically everyone in the city. You have, you know, a central intelligence that's spying on everyone. You have a ruler who um, wants to make sure that no one is, you know, plotting against him. It's not so far from from reality in many ways. Um, it's just the way that you present the details. I love the film, by the way. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's really well made and the genre is cool. We're giving away a lot of our information, you know, like we're on social media, you know. We're giving away all of our privacy in a way, aren't we? You know, I mean, like it doesn't, this is a film. It's a, a work of symbolism and, and fiction. You know, you saw it this way. Other people may see it differently. Some people see hope in it. I for sure see hope in it. Other people see a dark, a morbid future. But But again, it's... It's a creative mind that's, you know, imagining uh, what it would be. Doesn't need to be true. So the film, so Aleftia 2053 won Best Animation this year at Cannes. Uh, congratulations. And also another award at the Falcon Film Festival in London. What does this represent for the future of the animation industry in Lebanon, uh, where you produce the film, and also in the region? Is Lebanon the next hub for animation? In the Arab world? Just a clarification. It's it, it won Best Film in Cannes World, which is an alternative festival for animations. It, it's not the, you know, the, the traditional Cannes that, um, that, you know, that, that you put movies in it that are aired in movie theaters because our film went straight to streaming services. This is the second award for the film in the last uh, two months, and we hope uh, you know it will be recognized further during the coming year. What would it mean? I hope it will sort of like uh, raise awareness about the talents that we have, and they are world class, by the way. George Abumaya is a fantastic you know, illustrator and creator uh, that helped create the characters with me. Um, Jules Casas is a fantastic um, designer that brought all the sets and all the, you know, design created the country in a way, you know, it's all logos and everything that goes with it. Nicolas uh, Janho you know, helped part of the animation, Bassem Breish who helped, um, uh, you know, with the script and, 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 and screenplay. And, and of course, the, the wonderful and talented Karim Khnaise who made the music. You know, without him, I think the film would probably not look or feel or, or, or sound the same way it, it, it did. So all of this talent is there. Um, without forgetting my, my, you know, my partner, Marwan Harib, who, who sort of like helped uh, develop the story. All of these talents needed an avenue to actually show their talents. Unfortunately, we don't have the ecosystem for animation in Lebanon yet. We have it in the region. I think uh, people in, in, in the region, mainly in the Gulf, are sort of like spending a, a fair bit of energy and money on creating this uh, opportunity, which is great for the region. It's fantastic. We just uh, have the talent, but we don't have the resources, uh, if that makes sense. So the answer is... Not yet a hub. <laughs> um, hub is a big word, and it requires a fair bit of stability uh, for people to actually base themselves around it. 
Your film was released in the end of March, and it has over 8 million views on YouTube, but I feel like it didn't get as much mainstream coverage in the Arab world as it deserved, considering that number. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think there's a reluctance to talk about it because of the subject matter? I think uh, it did. It, it did get a lot of uh, coverage. Um, and remember, uh, you know, when we launched it, uh, there was uh, Ramadan. A lot of the, the TV channels uh, had their own set programs. Uh, we were basically coming in to shoehorn ourselves, so that may not have been the perfect timing. Then, um, you know, the, the security events that happened, you know, in Gaza and and um, and the West Bank. Uh, that also took away uh, coverage from it. But there are a lot of interviews that were done. There were a lot of sort of like coverage that was uh, done. If I may put a, try to put an analysis on it is that, unfortunately, still in the Middle East, um, people don't take animation movies very, very seriously. They think that it's cartoon, you know. And I think uh, maybe this is one way of sort of like um, I can... Uh, And the team can actually understand why it may not have caught the attention versus, let's say, a real-life action um, movies. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, a factor. But I was just curious whether um, you felt any level of kind of censorship because of, you know, the movie kind of promotes a an, an overthrowing of the ruling uh, of the ruler of this fictitious country and a lot of the media across the region is backed or owned by governments and so I was just wondering if some of the media maybe you know backed off from giving it too much attention or talking about it too much because of you know the the same way that other content is censored and things are not discussed uh, when it comes to political, Uh, ideas especially you didn't feel that at all no absolutely not i mean we were covered um, you know we were supported mainly by sort of like uh, uh, countries with uh, like if you call it the gulf and they were very supportive they gave us their time to 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 talk about the film uh, absolutely not i think this um what are we saying we're talking about a parallel universe in the future uh, You just said that, oh, it resembles certain aspects of reality from countries, not just in the Middle East, but around the world. So what is what is new there? We're not promoting anything. This is a piece of imaginative art. You know, uh, if I set it up, let's say, in a hermit state like North Korea, but, but how different is it from from what we showed? You know, our, our characters could be... Uh, you know, set in in, um, in 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 North Korea, and it it would still work if that is the the, the analogy. Um, it's a story about, as I said, how people deal with you know pressures of society and immediate changes, be it inequality, climate change. You've watched the movie, you know, it's all about what would happen in the absence of water, you know. Uh, Two types of, of people, uh, you know, lower Alephians and higher Alephians. If I go back to the 1920s, you know, as I just said, you know, after uh, World War One, Fritz Lange talked about it in his famous black and white film, Metropolis. That was the beginning of dystopia. Aldous Huxley talked about it in Brave New World, about the future of science and medicine. 
and of course, uh, 1984, Orwell, and all of this stuff has happened before and will continue to happen. Trying to actually pigeonhole it or identifying it with one aspect, you know, will do the story a disservice. And, you know, it's, uh, I find it unnecessary. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so um, other than being shown at festivals, Alefia, as you said, was mostly uh, released online. Do you think that on-demand streaming is the real future for film? I know this is an animated film, but um, do you think cinema, as we know it, is becoming fringe? And do you think, or do you think this trend we're seeing now where everyone is kind of creating these digital streaming series is just a result of the pandemic and temporary? Not at all. I think there'll be a place for for every genre of entertainment. Uh, what I would just say, the streaming is not about just streaming. Streaming is the how, if, if, if I may. But the reality is what we've realized is that people want to be free to choose their own time, to view their own desired films uh, that interest them at a time and a place that they want. That is it. This is the freedom that streaming services has given us. Uh, in the 80s, you had to be at 7.30 on a particular Tuesday to watch a particular TV program. Uh, over time, there was cable that you could record it. Right now, your screen is in your pocket and you can watch it anytime that you want to. It has to be there. You decide if you want to watch it before bedtime or as you're having your breakfast. That is the future and the freedom of consuming uh, entertainment. Uh, that applies to this podcast and th this will apply to future um, audiovisual. The cinema will, of course, always be there. It's not supplementary. It's actually complementary to what, what we have. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about on-demand, isn't it? Um, where can people watch your film? Well, they can watch it on uh, on the Alifia website. So there is an Alifia website. It's uh, alifia.xyz. Rabia Swaidan, thanks so much for joining me today and best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's it. You can watch Alefia 2053, which has subtitles in French and English, by the way, and learn more about the film on alefia2053.xyz. That's A-L-P-H-I-A. -A. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform as well. Peace. <laughs>